0: Welcome, everyone, to our podcast, A Longer Conversation. I'm Peter Morin, an artist from the Crow Clan of the Tan Nation.
1: And I'm Ashok Mather, a South Asian artist, writer, and cultural organizer. And together, we are putting together a series that considers and contemplates the social and
0: aesthetic role of creativity. Art, writing, design, theory, and all manners of traditional and contemporary practices and how they mean to us.
1: The birth of the series came from a set of dialogues Peter devised to connect Black, Indigenous and other people of colour at the Ontario College
0: of Art and Design University. But this conversation has expanded, it has become a longer one, as we explore further dialogues alongside readings, stories and other creative possibilities. Come join us on our journey.
1: And we hope this encourages our multiple communities
0: to also engage in longer conversations. Episode one is a conversation between myself and Ashok, recorded at OCAD University in December, 2019. In this dialogue, we talked about the history of cultural organizing, what it means to know each other across various communities, and creative possibilities of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Come and listen to what we had to say it's time. Uh, there's so much going on in all of our worlds, and so I really appreciate uh, everybody in this space with us today. Uh, I know that it's hard to negotiate all of the, all of the things that we, uh, all of us in this circle negotiate every day, at every minute of every day. You know? um, what? What? <laughs> if people are listening to this you should start off by mentioning oh yes okay yeah so part of uh, part of what's going on now or how it's de- how this is developing is uh we're going to record it so that we can start uh, a podcast yeah so a longer conversation podcast okay um this is you know the I get a little weird around microphones so that's kind of a uh, Weird because I'm a performance artist and my whole life is like uh, around microphones. So here we are. I, I just don't even know what to do. I see you beyond the microphone. It's very strange. Okay. Um.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's a wrap. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> this, is why my, this is why my social media is terrible. There, there you go. There you go. Um, so, Now we have the podcast. We're we're podcasting, but we're also sharing time together, and we're sharing space with each other. And I think that's super important. Also, uh, moments like this uh, in institutions—they they they don't happen without friends and without uh, support. And many people around the circle are are my friends and my supports. Uh, Travis and Rocky are here as folks from FCDC, but also dedicated people who are interested in contributing to this, this kind of space, right? Uh, and Caroline also supports this space from her position, her multiple positions in the institution. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, and also... Uh, Every time we meet, I I do want to draw the continuum or draw the thread, right? Because the the work that we do as community and the work that we do when we're encountering um, decolonial methodologies does not happen without folks who have gone before, who have contributed before, right? There are many Indigenous folks here who have really fought for me to be here uh, at as well as James Miller, Suzanne Morris, Melanie Hope, uh, Howard Monroe, right? Uh, that, that's just one part of this conversation, you know? Uh, Ryan Rice has done so much to contribute to this space and to these conversations. Bonnie Devine, uh, Duke Redbird, uh, Dave General, uh, Gerald McMaster. These are folks who have come forward Uh, To be present and to embody indigenous knowledges uh, in institutions uh, which often take away or extract from indigenous knowledges and indigenous bodies, right? Uh, And in the spirit of decolonizing and OCAD's uh, academic plan around decolonization and prioritizing that, honoring and decentering knowledge, practice and production so that it actually shifts. So we don't always have the center at the center, but we can honor that there's multiple centers and multiple practices of knowledges which come together in these environments. So the idea of knowledge givers, that was one part of this work that we, we have had the opportunity to offer. The next part, the transformation, is about sharing, knowledge sharing. You know. That's a that that draws a line into the continuum of of that previous work, but also creates a generative space. So, like the indigenous folks who who were prioritized and given space, can also turn back to the other bodies. Uh, uh, the BIPOC folks share a space, have a conversation. Uh, Decolonizing methodologies doesn't just happen because we say it does or we want it to. We actually have to work at making generative spaces for folks to share. Uh, Knowledge sharing, a longer conversation. And today I do have, you know, I I mean, I could read uh, Ashok Mather's, um, Dr. Ashok Mather's uh, bio. Uh, but I don't want to. <laughs> 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 trying to. Trying to make a space for also friendliness and joy. Yeah. Uh, and I get to sit up here in the circle, up here in the circle, uh, with somebody I love and adore, uh, Ashok Mather, who I have known for maybe 20 years. Twenty years, um, we have worked together quite closely since twenty twelve. Uh, but someone, and I know I'm not alone in this. Somebody who uh, we we see Ashok make work uh, that is generative, that is inclusive, that is about opening up spaces, that is opening up and inviting people who are often um, not not not. Included, yeah. Uh, 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 an ethic of care, an ethic of kindness. Uh, it's truly my privilege to to know Ashok, to know you, Ashok. Yeah. Uh, also, somebody who uh, is a countless like has spent countless numbers of hours being a mentor. For other BIPOC folks and institutions, when I was having uh, my own issues, being uh, working at an institution, uh, I called Ashok. So, and not only did he uh, pull me down from the clouds, but he helped me to uh, come up with a plan. To you know, a mentor, right? And not just a mentor, a friend. Yeah. Thank you for this time. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to start by acknowledging um, that my thought around um, territorial acknowledgement is about action. Yeah, uh, And so for this period of time at the end we're going to do a territorial acknowledgement. Um, but Ashok, to start one of the best things I've ever heard uh, from you um, and I was wondering if you could share that with these folks who are here with us in this room, um, the introduction that you shared when we were in Kelowna and you talked about your family, yeah, um, I'd like to make a space for that, uh, for, for your family to okay. come with us.
1: Okay. <clears throat> So, thank you, Peter. Um, you're putting me on the spot, thinking, what did I say? In the <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, my family. Glad you're not doing So, I, this, of course, that was done uh, uh, as spontaneously as will this be, because uh, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I was, I was trying to think of uh, families' histories, ancestries, and uh, movement through, as opposed to uh, settling on. Right? This is something... Uh, he's talked to me a lot about, about the notion of passing through rather than settling. And so, what I, I, uh, I said uh, in terms of my family, if this is, <laughs> this is correct, was talking about coming to this landmass uh, first to onto, to Mifma and the uh, territories. Uh, admittedly, as a child, not knowing that and not acknowledging that. Right? Uh, and moving from there to um, a very interesting uh, triangulated space of the Sutina and Siksika and Stony nations. And that's the, That was where I grew up. and I grew up so close to what was then called South Sea territory, the Sutina, when I was learning to drive, driving through the res, and then the closest rodeo was right there, right? To get to High River, you could take a shortcut, go through there, get to Trues Medes, that's what we did, right? and uh, dirt roads and the whole, the whole country thing of being there. You know, that was the closest us. My first teaching experience
0: then was on the sixth
1: Man nation, actually at Old Sun uh, Community College, which at one time was a residential school. And I have to say, when I was teaching there, um, it was 100 kilometers exactly from the University of Calgary. And I know that because we used a company car, a right, university car to drive up there. Uh, and I had just finished my master's and I was teaching there. That was my first uh, encounter. So my family had moved to Calgary. I went to the University of Calgary and. That was my first teaching at, at a university outreach program. I was in a residential school. Then I moved from there to, uh, when I first met you, Peter, to, uh, to West Coast, uh, uh, to Coast Salish Territories, uh, and uh, realizing it was quite different because I'm moving into, uh, by that time, I knew a little bit more about it. I was moving into unceded territories. I've always lived before that on something that I knew or didn't know, but I was, there was acknowledgement of being treated, right? And then into the interior, so the interior Salish people, when I went to Chemnipset uh, uh, and, uh, and worked with, in Shwatnip territory um, uh, with an incredible body of people that I was able to meet there and, and understand. And then just moving a bit south and realizing I'm in a completely different nation state. I'm in Silk territory, people of the Okanagan Nation Alliance, very different, right? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that was my understanding there. And then, and then coming out to uh, to here to to these territories of so Haudenosaunee, and here in Wendat, and and Shnappy and and the credit. So, so many so many changes and shifts but that's, I, I like to talk about it that way cuz I I I'm although i understand and i and we've talked a lot about the importance of land acknowledgements they need I, I want to take those uh beyond i want to take that into a space where we're talking about how we move through these places right yeah. because i haven't been and that this is part of the maybe the privilege or maybe the privilege of moving through spaces i haven't been born and bred on these territories but i have on others and moved through them right so i want to acknowledge them because they're part of my upbringing the poet Rita Wong talks about one of the things she does when she goes to a new place and she says she she drinks as much water as she can, and she said the reason for that is when she's in a new place, the, the, because our bodies are so made up of water. When you drink water, you're replacing it with that the place where you're at, and what she called the water memory. So I think it's a beautiful thought, right, to to think that, right. Uh, and so so those are some of the things that I was thinking about as I, as I started. Did I capture what I was saying or did, did I miss something? Was I talking about migration at that time? <laughs> I might have been I, I
0: might have all over the The answer is no, but that's fine. That's <laughs> <laughs> so also a really good answer. I probably talked about my,
1: my family in India, my parents, my grandparents. So
0: yeah. 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 Invoking the name, like it, it really matters to invoke the name sometimes, mm-hmm. hey, like... So, when you think about uh, territorial acknowledgement, I mean, we've all been around a lot, all of us. Like, is there, uh, like, when you reflect on those experiences of coming into contact with those territorial acknowledgements, which ones worked?
1: Uh-huh. It's not which ones worked, it's, yeah. it's, it's how they're produced, right? And so, yeah. um, I can tell you what doesn't work, and I've seen this happen in too many places. The first territory i, I ever saw was in Australia. Long it's the first time I've gone there and saw. They're actually talking about territory, and it was many years later that UBC was probably the first university I saw that would do this, and right? mm-hmm. it started to spread. But what I've seen is sometimes uh, university administrators, um, particularly is that the one tasked with that, right, are so uncomfortable with it. They've got this card in front of them, and they're uh, trying to read it. Quickly, and maybe not, and they haven't worked on the pronunciation. And and I I sympathize with that because I'm not good at pronouncing things either, right? Yeah. But uh, it seems to be a throwaway. It's like, oh, we're supposed to do this, so we do it, right? Um, And and what I do have to say is being here has been a a nice experience for me because I think people are, like the water that they're ingesting, being kind of part of the place, they're they're talking about it in sincere ways. It's still words on a page or words in memory, but it's, uh, it's just a, not always, but I'd say there's a depth to it, right? Uh, and it's happening in various quarters, and not just at uh, the big event where you know the, the university administrator is saying, oh, we're welcoming people from the outside, so we should say it. So, so it's happening more of a regular thing, right? So that's my experience with it. So I'm, I'm seeing it grow, and I'm seeing in certain places it not grow. So I have to say that too, that some places are very proud of themselves for simply having it on their website, right? Yeah. But, but what does it mean, right? Yeah. And, and what does it mean if you don't know uh, people from those areas, you're just knowing the names, right? So th- there's many, many uh, sides to that that work and many that don't, right? mm-hmm. uh, And I think with the community we've built here or are building here, um, you mentioned a number of names. I'm thinking of, uh, as well, as, uh, Jason Berg and oh, uh, yes, Louis Parnell, yeah. uh, I'm thinking of Thomas Nielsen, right? yeah. so, so, many, so many people around from Indigenous perspectives. Um, that are bringing different voices in, right? And that's the important thing, too, it's not a singular voice. If we start to talk about singularities, if we start to talk about um, the, the monolithic kind of spaces, uh, that's when we run into trouble, too. And uh, one of the things that, that also happens, I think, in academic circles is uh, uh, an ease with which we fall into the singularity, right? And this is, this is something we've learned from back in, you know, 1960s, 70s feminist theory, right, it would, so there, at a particular point, people say, "Well, what is the feminist perspective? Well, there isn't the feminist, there are multiple feminist perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. The same with indigenous voices, the same with BIPOC voices, right? Yeah. And we have to, the reason that we have a term like BIPOC, which is problematic in its essence in many ways, is, uh, is because of multiplicity, right, yeah. and to know the imbalances, balances and imbalances. So I think these things are all very important as, as we go through as educators. Uh, as creators
0: and as uh, uh, human interactors, you know we're mm-hmm. interacting with each other in particular ways. When uh, uh, there's so much, there's so much to. I mean, besides the privilege of n- knowing you for this long, there's so much to talk about with you. Like um, it's such a long career around images and creative forces, like the creative force of that, but also words, the books that you've written. Um, I'm a terrible friend. I've only read read two of your books. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm I'm curious about when when did you when did words become a thing for you uh-huh. like written yeah. words like I think what words were always a thing for me that comes yeah. from um, back to
1: family right my mother was always a storyteller I you know just before I came over here. I, I, of it uh, and i was sitting in the research area and i went out simply to wash my hands and i came back half an hour later <laughs> I, It's because i ran into you it was you run. and I, I won't say i read this is a young woman who works here and uh i don't know that well And i was connecting she uh, she said to me as i was walking she said i want to tell you something she said i i read a little distillery and it's the most recent novel she said I, and she happened to start work and it was in someone's office so she picked up and read it. And she was telling me about what she loved about it, I and mean, it's so sweet. When someone does that, uh, I said, that makes a lot more difference to me than uh, being on that you know, bestseller kind of thing where people have the book on their shelves but they haven't read it, you know, that sort of thing. So it, it really meant a lot, and it was really important to me. And she said something interesting, though. She said, I love the way it worked in circles, right? And even though I had to wash my hands, I said, yeah, there's a reason why it went in circles. And I told her about uh, my mother, and I told you the story this recently just after I came back. And I said, my mother had, was a great storyteller, and actually that novel is built on stories she told us, and then stories she remembered to write down, and she was creating what she called memoirs before she died, and it was quite beautiful, and I went to her and I said, uh, her name was Perrin, and I said, uh, I said, I'd like to turn this into a book, like a fictional piece. Right? I said, it won't be your story, but it's drawing from your story. I'm scavenging from your stories. Can I do this, right? Do you mind me doing this? And uh, she said, no, that's fine. you want, right? Uh, but I said I went to interview her, so we did that, she told me more stories, and that became part of the installation that was this one, right? But one of the things about Circles was, storytelling happens that way, sometimes not with intent, but with um, the importance of, of, uh, of presence. So what I mean by that is, she would, uh, when we were young kids, we you know, we're living in a two-channel universe, you know, a movie on TV, and we had to go to bed, right? And we half over, oh, to watch it? She said, it's okay, I'll tell you about it in the morning, right? Okay, so we go to bed, we get up in the morning, over breakfast, mom, tell us that story, what, what happened? And she said, well, this happened, this happened, this happened, and then that fellow he married this, this woman, and, and we're going, wait, wait when, when did that happen? She goes, oh, I forgot, first this happened, right? And so she'd go back and repeat these things, so we're, we're, we're seeing stories all out of order, circular, right? Yeah. And the other thing she would do, and this is very much coming out of Indian and, and British, like the way that she just functions, said to go to the movies, it was not like we do in a normal, you know, we're always you know, checking our time, can we get there in time, can we get for the trails and all. She'd say, oh, there's a movie on, this us go see tonight, right? Okay? Get the kids ready, get us dressed, you know, Calgary, winter, whatever, get out there. And it wouldn't matter what time things start, we just walk in, right? And it, invariably, it was halfway through the movie, right? No, seriously, <laughs> we're halfway through the movie, right? And we, and we said, well, What's going to happen? She said, it's okay. We'll, we'll watch the beginning after. It's so we'll get to the <laughs> so end. So I never saw a movie when I was a kid that started at the start and end at the end. So that became my writing practice. So we started, this, right? And then there'd be this wonderful, what she called intermission, right? She called it intermission, which was between movies. And there's a guy, you know, sweeping up the popcorn. And we're sitting there, and they're thinking, there's a strange, this is Calgary, this is a strange brown family sitting there. Right? They won't leave, right? There's, are they really early? or are they really, No, we're really late. And then we watch. Okay? So the first part of the movie come, and then about twenty minutes in, uh, someone would say, or my mom would say, she'd say, "Oh yeah, we've seen this part. We can go now, right?" So we we'd leave in the middle as well, right? So people would think, "Oh, we must not like the movie." No, we're just doing that. Right? <laughs> anyway, this speaks to circularity because we we would get, we, I'd always get the end before the beginning, right? Uh, or the, yeah, the end before the beginning. So and then that became a kind of a, a strategy for telling stories because when we think about it. Let's think about this in a, in a more serious way. The linearity of the beginning, the middle and end, right? Is so um, foreign to our bodies, right? It's foreign to how we actually live our days. And it's certainly foreign to how we dream. And I often talk to students once. They're looking for the writing, creative writing. I said, why do you have to do it this way? When you dream, you may have a very important event that starts the dream, but then it doesn't go into denouement, it goes into something else, and images are all coming together, uh, collage-like, right? And our lives are more tomorrow like collages than they are uh, linear narratives. So that's where I got that from. And uh, I don't know what your question was, but I think I got to... Uh, <laughs> there's there go. But that's uh, what uh, uh, And when I was writing the novel, I was writing it in different parts and portions. And my mother died before I finished the novel, right, before she could see it. And I remember walking outside with my father um, in uh, Vancouver, and uh, soon after she died, we were, we were walking down, so I felt the wind rushing into my face, and I said to him, I said, I've just heard all the other words of the novel. I said, I heard this cacophony of voices that came in, and they're all there, they've all come at me right at once, and I know they're there, now I just have to separate them out, right, and put them down on the page. So that's what I did for the next two years, right, to putting that together. Well, yeah.
0: <laughs> Whoa! Uh, for the folks, because I saw the installation, it was at Center A, mm-hmm. like, and that was one of the sort of like moments where our wires yeah, crossed, yeah. right? Uh, Stephen uh, Foster was there. I w- he was like my thesis supervisor, so we had like a twelve-minute meeting at Starbucks. <laughs> 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 it happens, right? <laughs> And then he's like, "Come, come see Ashok's work at uh, uh, installation." It was quite an involved installation and all the different sort of versions of, of the book, right Do you mind uh, just taking a moment to uh, talk about the, yeah. the different things?
1: So, so what I did was I, I had I was working on a draft of this novel, right? So essentially the novel, this is also about time, so just appreciate the novel. If you're imagine a young boy who hears um, a voice, right? And he, he's turning to this voice and trying to listen to it. And then he realizes this is the voice of his, as yet, his unborn grandchild, gender indeterminate. So. And that grandchild grandchild is talking to him and saying, I want you to follow a path that's going to let me be born, right? And you think in the circularity of that, it's like if he goes the wrong way, then the child's not born, then the voice isn't there. So this, this was, again, a very circular notion of, of time, right? Um, so I had this draft and I, um, I had uh, this idea about how people were reading in, in, in contemporary ways and I was talking to students and I realized that the novel that I was eventually constructing was going to be the longest piece I'd written, you know, so it's almost 500 pages. And I thought, a lot of people aren't reading that and um, maybe not the ideal audience. So I said, how do I take this novel into a space, a space like this room, say, and have people uh, what I call inhabit that novel, right? How do they inhabit it? And that, so I worked with a couple of RAs at the time. I had a, uh, a shirt grant to, to convert this into a space. So I said to them, I said, I want us to figure out a way to include all the words of the novel in this space, right? So they're all available. I didn't say they're all present, like you're not, you're not sitting there listening to them for four hours straight up here. They're just available, right? And so these brilliant RAs started to think through ways <clears> of <throat> creating that inhabitation, right? So we did different different strategies. And one of the strategies was to reach out to some of the artists I, I knew mm-hmm. uh, Diana Piatti, who did a lot of work on uh, printmaking, but also uh, animation. Uh, David Bateman, performance artist, who's uh, actually here in Toronto. I knew him for some years. Brendan Tang. Yeah. Um, who was, uh, uh, so it was a ceramicist out of uh, uh, Vancouver? to with him. Uh, I think I'm supposed to be. Out. Was that it was a Um And so I asked. I said, I, "What I'd like you to do is figure out how to interpret this novel that's not yet finished, right? And I'm only going to show you the this this part of it, right? And I'd like you just to um, to to create work that would uh, represent the novel in some way, right? And th- those pieces then eventually became part of that. So, uh, so the end, this beautiful animation, a couple of animation pieces. One curly part in the novel where there's this uh, uh, this queering moment. These these young girls on this playing field. and This is touching. I thought an intimate moment. And she takes that and turns it into something, right? And she does a. Uh, she's a printmaker from uh, Indonesia originally. She has this series called the Go Girl Series. This young girl, which is placed in all sorts of strange. Uh, apparatus, and it's really quite interesting. She used a version of that. And then she also took uh, the Queen Victoria image, which comes up really in the novel, and completely dissembled Queen Victoria, so that you've got this this character, Queen Victoria, who, you know, she's sitting there regally, and then things start to fall off, you know, parts of her clothes start to fall, and then her whole body starts to fall apart. So all that's left at a certain point are her eyebrows, right? You know? You'd like that. Her eyebrows are <laughs> right. yeah. And, and, and then they drop so off, right? And then <laughs> they turn into the pacing, which is representing... Uh, the Parsi tradition, which my mother Paisley comes from that, right? yeah, yeah. It represents that. And they trend, and these Paisleys turn into, an these are all representations of the novel, right? So someone looking at it, any of you here who would be looking at that would get their strong sense of what the novel was doing, but not narratively, would know whole characters. You just get a sense of it, right? And uh, I had Brenda Tang, who was a who was very really interesting kind of postmodern type of uh, robotic kind of things. But he decided to take the idea of the urn and use, make a very traditional piece, but he'd seen pictures. I'd gone to India, uh, with, uh, Ayumi and my father, to do some research, and he saw pictures of the distillery where this, this thing had happened. So he made a very precarious sculpture, these rods that were stuck in the bottom of this thing to hold it up, it just barely, right? So people can see that. Um, David Beaton did a performance based on a number of things where he came in drag I as Queen mean, Victoria and talks about histories and was wheeled in on this baby carriage that that he painted to make into something else. So all these different elements were there, Uh, and then there were elements we created ourselves. So the whole novel was available on these giant scrims, uh, acetate scrims that were, so they'd be hanging like uh, 12 feet across and 4 feet deep, and 10 of those, right? So the whole novel was there. And in order to read them, you'd have to walk between them. And you couldn't really, because you get to the end of the line, you'd miss coming to the back, right? But what I thought was fascinating about that was seeing people read each other through the pages, right? So someone there, you know, I'd be able to see you reading something. So I have some really beautiful images of my father actually reading it while someone else is looking at him reading it, right? So that was that was what I was trying to do. So I, I, I stuck onto this idea of inhabitation, right? How to inhabit... Uh, creative space, and uh, so we had a number of different elements like there, and I produced various alternative books that were unreadable, you know, a book the same novel that's uh, 24 12-point lighting, right, so it's all, and you can't see it, but it's all there, again, it's all available. And so that's what I did in that, in that piece, and I really enjoyed it, and then it turned around to two different places, and then I was using some Super 8 grabs from, uh, from uh, some old family work, uh, and I was like you actually pointed it out, she said, an image of my mother and my sister. She said, Your sister's just about four or five years older. Your mom must have been pregnant with you at the time. I yeah. think, oh, it must be the entire novel is on that 3.8 point, right? It's on that. So, if you're close enough, you can read it. If you're distant, you see the image, and you can't see the text. So, it's that sort of thing. So, again, uh,
0: plus and minus. You know, type of thing. I, I, uh, I'll. Now, now I have three three different questions in my head. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible. It's really terrible. It's the problem with talking to somebody so talented, it's like, oh well, who uh, doesn't know? Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. It's great. I um, okay. So maybe I'll give I'll give the three questions, and we can uh, you can pick. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm, I just keep thinking about like um, it, it's such a multi focused thing, like your, your creative practice over the last, uh, you know, many years, right? Not just photography, not just uh, poetry, not just books, but even the sort of deep, um, the deep um, thinking about what a book does and what it should do and what it, the possibilities of it. I mean, you just, uh, I'm so I'm fascinated about the conversations you had with your class and yeah. decolonizing the book, mm-hmm. right? Especially as somebody who, I mean, I get accused of ruining books, right? But really, I'm interested in how do we access knowledge, and how how does the author offer us an opportunity to change our relationship to, to knowing and to the experience of knowing? You know, your your uh, the little distillery project helps me to see that, right? Um, and so, part of my like one of my questions for you is like in the in the breadth. Uh, of your creative life. Right. Um, I mean, there's always this question, right? Like, is it, what's your favorite, what's your favorite thing? But that's not the question actually. Uh, the question is, uh, of that breath. Cause we're not, we're not talking about two years, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about more than 20 years. Right. Is there a project that you, uh, started, you completed, but it still sits in your stomach, you know, like you're still like it's still resonating with you or or talking back to you and, and saying "It, you know, okay, that was apparently one question.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such a, a difficult one. You know, the the pat answer to that is that you know, that which a you know, person's working on most recently seems to be the one that's most grinding, right? Yeah. And it feels the, the, the tension or the availability or something like that. Uh, and that's true, and I you know, we can talk about that, but I think a way to answer that is more, I think some of the work I've done has spoken to uh, or from or around some of the issues that uh, are around social justice that are around the very present feel of uh, injustice and how to, uh, how to turn that. Right? The, very first, so the very first novel I wrote, uh, Once Upon an Elephant, was in response to the, uh, in, in some part, to uh, uh, the Gitskan, what's with the land claims case in, in B.C. And there was a book that came out called colonialism on trial, written by the law- lawyers of that, uh, of the Gitskan people. And uh, they were quite critical, quite rightly critical, of uh, uh, Justice McEachern, uh, who was the, uh, in the B- B.C. courts, who had, uh, in order for the, the people to explain their case, they brought in... Uh, people to sing the story of the They said, so This is our way of, uh, and uh, in their language, right? And the judge got very upset and said, I don't understand this, it doesn't make sense. And he had yeah, the quote from him saying, I never want to see this happen in my courtroom again, right? This is the state of jurisprudence. This is what happened. Right? So I, I used that, just that moment, but I wanted to turn things around so I was making no. But what I wanted to do there, and this is important, I think, um, I may be cast as, or even call myself an activist uh, on social justice issues, that, that sort of thing. But what I don't want to be is that kind of activist team. Activists speak a lot about listening, right? So how do you listen to those around you, including those that you don't particularly agree with, right? And mm-hmm. so that's an important thing. In this novel, what I wanted to do is, because uh, we we're always being cast together, is, ah, oh, you're, you're so harsh and so angry all the time. I wanted it to be very funny. And it was a very funny novel. I thought it was laugh out loud kind of yeah. things, right? Even though you're laughing at the absurdity of, lot of things, right? It's basically a recreation story of Ganesh, so it's... Uh, it's taking the story of the Ganesh who's created by, you know, his father cutting off his head and then replacing the head of an elephant. It's very popular. So I did the same of thing in a Western Canadian contest. So it was funny and playful, but also theoretical and philosophical, all these different things, right? So the reason I'm answering your question that way is that I think what I like, what, what still resonates with me, is trying to uh, do the Emily Dickinson thing, you're going To tell the truth, to tell the slant. Um, but in more than slant, tell it in a way that um, engages and enlightens, uh, or not enlightens, uh, uh, light, light, uh, 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 makes people excited by by the idea, right? So that's not enlightening, like, oh, I'm teaching you something, but they get excited by it, right? And then often they become creative practitioners in response to that, right? That, that's everything. so that's that's kind of a, a route. So I do like that feeling of making making work. Um, that I've always done is driven by a, a flow of politics, but also um, is uh, delightful at the same time. Right? And I, we can't lose track of that. Just, uh, much of the, the stuff I like to read and see and you know, makes me happy, right? Um, and I'm not so interested in that particular piece of art, that particular novel that's just devastating, it crushes me, right? I don't mind having those moments, right, to say, oh, I, that's really disturbing, and I've just learned something new. But I also want to be uplifted. And the only way I can uplift, or uplift others, right, is to see hope in that, right? So there, there's got to be something of that. And, and I don't think that's a pollyanna statement, I'm just saying, oh, well, I'm trying to, you know, make everything light. I'm saying, let's see the light in everything, yeah. right? And let's see the, the possibilities in anyway. it.
0: Well, that's so different like to see the light and, and uh, experience it light and it also makes me think of lightness yeah, yeah yeah
1: yeah
0: we have so many things in during our day which pull us down or make our sp- or make our bodies heavier than than they actually are you know so the lightness helps us to like lift each other up to take care of each other um and if it's if it's uh, enjoyable um, i i always really i mean uh, I always really love hearing you talk about uh, your activism work, and, and as somebody who pretends to be an activist and, or pretended to be an activist, uh, it's nice to think about and hear uh, hear stories, right? To so hear the stories of how how space was made, how change was. Uh, you know, sometimes you know, sometimes you have to hit pretty hard in order to make change, right? Um, but I love I love hearing you talk about uh, your work with Minkwan Panchayat and and um, particularly that one story about how they thought they thought if uh, I forget I forget now but it was something about if we give the money to them they are going to blow up the gallery. Oh yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Do you mind sharing that story uh, with us? <laughs> so,
1: a little bit of background. So, ninkman panchayat
0: of course, was a movement that came out of the early 90s. Um, and it was a national movement um, uh, with uh, uh, what was they called now, which is really
1: the Artists for the Center Organization. Uh, and I'll cut a long story, but there were a number of key players, people like Matthew Daniel, people like Shirley Bear, David Woods, and a number of others that were engaged in this, uh, in, a, in a critical mass, saying, we can help diversify artist-based intimacy very quickly. right? We can, we can make this happen. Right? And so, uh, when I was in the gallery at the time, we decided to do something that was um, uh, on a local base, right? and encouraged by the national uh, contingents. So Cheryl LaRondel was working with us in the new gallery at the time. She said, hey, let's do this. Anyway. great. So we went to the new gallery and I was on the board at the time, a few others, and we said, well, why don't we turn over our program to a local chapter of what we now call BIPOC Communities, but were you know, basically uh, at that time we were saying indigenous and people of color are expensive. So we um, and they were all young artists. Many of them were at ACAD or around that or graduated from there. And uh, and yeah, and the president of the board at that time had said it uh, was really concerned because the anonymity and this is the interesting thing. These were this was a group, not these are the five individuals who be doing it. It's like they're going to figure something out and should I should say that your program was phenomenal, what happened there was just great. Thank you. Uh, but before that, so the president of the board was saying, sitting there saying, Well, we don't know these people. What if they What if they want to blow up the glenbo right? And so I had to think about that, and I said, well, first off, <laughs> not a bad idea. <laughs> it's, it's Why are you making this assumption? Like, where, where is this time from? They're going to try, they're going to program things, we're going to see what goes on. And they had an incredible year. So there's this one, I was walking down the street in Kensington. Uh, in Calgary, and there was a little sign on, a, on an art store door uh, call, call up for black artists. Many black artists now, right? So I called this guy up, who was not an artist, but he was an entrepreneur and he said he didn't see black art we represent. represented. He said, we'll have to do something, right? I said, you know, we built this gallery and, uh, you know, he wanted to do a show. I said, let's, let's talk about it. So we programmed him and he got a, got a space. For um, so the life made to remember his name because I never saw him after that. So he did a show called The Color of Oak Park, right? Uh, and it was to, to parlay uh, mostly Calgary and, and to the Alberta artists, Black Artists' Establishment. In in this and so we're doing it in the New Gallery. And the New Gallery was you know, it's one of the waters, one of the oldest artist-run centers in the, in the country, right? Uh, and it was a standard thing. You, know, you get you have your openings, people from ACAD or Calgary, you have your you know between twenty and sixty people showing up, and it was fun. And people had drinks, and they went home right. Uh, so he does the show and he has all these artists moved in and, and it, and, you know, same show up at the, you know, opening at 7.30 or something like that. About seven o'clock, there's a row of black people around the corner waiting to get in, right? But they'd never seen this happen. This is the calendar, right? And the place was back 200 people, right? We're in this gallery space, which is a room probably about this size, right? And it was just completely packed and it was such an amazing thing. So things like that can happen, right? Now. Whether it's a good thing or not, you know, that was uh, in a moment, but it, it then pulled back. Because I don't think those same people that were there ever came back to that gallery. Yeah. There would be no reason to draw them back in. <laughs> and that started me thinking about how do we, uh, this is the notion of retention, how do we retain that energy? We just don't want to have the one-offs, right? How do we make something happen, right? And so when we do things like uh, some, of the, some of the action say, at OCAD, for instance, like Cluster Hire that you're referring to, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a potential because it doesn't have that, um, resonance of saying, we've hired one person, yeah, it's because we've done that, right, you've hired a community into a community, right, and that can build in a certain way. So th- those are the things that I started to get interested in. So I, I mentioned that as a, a moment of something that happened, but it was also a learning moment, right, and we're moved through very different times, right, different political and uh, times of agency. I think we have to be really, really aware of that. Uh, I get concerned by, uh, I was talking to, to Caroline the other day, uh, for the podcast, I'm pointing to Caroline, I, <laughs> and, uh, and acting president. And we have, uh, you know, as an administrator, I have, you know, we have one-on-one conversations, right? which is a good thing. What I like about those, incidentally, is not we don't just talk about the, you know, the the, the you know oh, what what's this plan for this and that. We do that, of course, it's necessary, but this other stuff we get to talk about art, talk about ideas. And Caroline did this very really interesting thing. She stopped me at a moment we're talking about BIPOC community. She said, that she was concerned about how this would play out in, in communities. And, and, yeah. and I knew exactly what she meant at that time, right? And I use the term balkanization, right? And there's a danger when, whenever we get into a place where we're, we're trying to create uh, spaces for voices that are disenfranchised, right? Mm-hmm. That those voices get towards an enfranchisement, but then can also become um, empowered in a particular way that isolates them and doesn't allow them to engage, further, right? And so when Caroline said to me, it was an aha moment, I went, oh, that's great, you know, of course we have to be able to think beyond that. How do we then uh, uh, engage with uh, artists who are not identifying in BIPOC communities, but they're struggling in particular ways, right? Yeah. And maybe not for, for, for particular reasons, but just trying to get through. How do we have those communications? How do I, as, as a some of senior in administration here, engage with folks like that, right? Uh, that does not instantly delimit what we do with, say, indigenous communities, BIPOC communities, that sort of thing. It opens doors towards what can happen, uh, how those doors can And I'm propping those doors open because those doors want to slam shut all the time, right? I yeah. need you keep those doors open, right? So, you know, I thank Caroline for that insight because then that allows me then to move forward. And it's a particular time, I think, where something like that can be said we can talk about that because there's possibility, right? And I'm a big believer in that possibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another book that came out in uh, the 90s was this, uh, this, uh, this text that talked about being the carriers of no, right? The idea that it's so easy to just, especially bureaucratically, to say no to things. This isn't going to work, right? Mm-hmm. But it's not written in policy, we're going to say no, right? Uh, and equally problematic is the carrier yes. of <coughs> yes to everything, because you're not going to be able to do it, right? So I do like the idea of carrier of possibility, right? So examples: if a student comes to me and says, well, you know, this, this part of the program isn't working, um, rather than pointing to the right policy, saying, well, you should be reading that, thing, do will know, it's all, it's all there, right? Uh, or rather saying, yeah, you're absolutely right, You know, let's change everything. It's like, well, let's sit down and talk and how do we change things um, to make it better for everybody, including the next generation? And I say next generation in institutions, I mean people coming up one years, two years, three years behind, right, yeah, yeah, small yeah. generations, right? And I found, in this case in students, they're wonderfully generous because they realize that they've seen a problem, they're trying to identify it, they're trying to make it better. They realize it may not be for them, but it's for those coming up behind, right? And if we're always looking in our rearview mirror, right, and we're always seeing who's behind and how we can bring them up to where we're at uh, or, or, or change them, their, their, their vectoring, right? Yeah. That's, that's a key thing. So they, these are sort of the sort of moments that I think we're at, and I think we're at a, a place where we can accomplish this but we have to keep those doors open.
0: And that does mean creating some frictions because people will say, no, we're not going to do this, right? How did we say, but can we get there, right? There's so much much (laughs) to talk about with you. And I I mean, it's also natural to like just talk about past works and, you know, like as a way to start or a way to build a space. And, And you're not just a creative force in your life, but, but you're also working in institutions, as you said, generating, generating a possibility for people to stand with you. Um, that's hard work. Uh, it's easy to quit uh, at times. Yeah. Uh, so I do have two more questions sure. and then I uh, will invite people to yeah. join in because you know I don't have all the questions and uh, <laughs> um, questions are hard. Uh, I think there's like the two questions are like, uh, how do you, how do you, how do you, um, not quit? And, um, the second question is what is the next, I mean, cause you, I mean, we're lots of us in this room and in this circle and, uh, are always constantly making, 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 thinking, thinking. Uh, often very deep, you know, and as as your friend, I see uh, very deep considerations and very deep thinking and when I get a chance to see your creative process, right? Um, so two questions, which are actually on the very opposite end of the spectrum. So,
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um. I think I've already forgotten the second question. So yeah, that's great. It's great. great. Uh, how do you Perfect. Away, right? Yeah. Um, so this question of, of how to be resilient in... in, uh, in it's a better question. In, in, <laughs> in, in difficult and difficult. Institutions are not necessarily and often are not our friends, right? So they're, they're, they're you know, it's a classic kind of critique. They're the brick and mortar and glass and the, the, the institution... Or the name of the place is not um, our lives, right? <laughs> However, um, the people and the the ideas that inhabit that space—they are really the that's really the institution, right? Mm-hmm. But it's really the people around, right? So um, uh, when I'm talking to students, and I'm talking to colleagues and uh, the administrators and friends who are working here. I'm trying to I'm trying to create an environment of working with them uh, as in a hub, right? We're working as a hive, right? Not we are okay, right? Uh, As a matter of fact, the the question of pronouns is very interesting. I I I steadfastly or try to be steadfast, not using that pronoun, the first or second person, uh, 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 first first person singular or plural, to say um, uh, this is who, who I am, right? So I don't see. We here at OCAD do this. I don't want to say that, right? I want to say we in this room, right, can connect. And I connect with each of you. I think I know most of you in some way in different ways, not as OCAD personnel, but as um, as as uh, you know, an interactive, connective kind of being. Right. That's 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 what I want to see. So that's and that gives me strength because I see strength in every individual, right? Yeah. Whereas I find um, the coldness of the institution. And, and it's not that this or any other system is intentionally doing that. It's just what was created around there. Right? See, it's the thing with uh, uh, nation-states, you know, and it's like, I often don't talk about myself as being Canadian, right? Um, those are air quotes for people on podcasts, I'm doing Canadian. <laughs> uh, uh, because I, I I don't find that, that I want to adhere to the, the notions of the nation-state, although I, fully to and I understand I benefit from various privileges from being, right? But it's uh, so similar to, to that and I want to talk about the, uh, the connectivities that we have, the multiple connectivities. It's kind of like a, a matrix of, uh, of, of connections which are quite beautiful. Because what it allows for them is not is to hive off the, uh, the hierarchies that can be there. Right? So uh, one thing I'm getting recently is uh, uh, students coming in and, and they begin their uh, Engagement with me by apologizing for engagement, with me, right? It's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm taking up your time. I was really busy. And I, I try to explain that that's that's not how it works because their their entire existence is what this is about, right? I'm I don't have a deca role in graduate studies but with students, and 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 I, and I, and I know that sounds great, but I really want to spend time with them because, and I talk about what they're doing, right? When they're, on, well, that's more interesting to me than than uh, the, what the institution might demand of me, right? You you kind have a foot in both because you have to do those things to maintain balance, right? But you don't, don't want to forget about the humanity. So that's that's really important. So that keeps gives me strength, um, and also, what uh, honestly, not taking things too seriously, right? Uh, you know, we're living in worlds where every small thing, every email that comes across or every encounter, is deadly serious. You know, it's like oh my god, we have to take this. And that person said we can't believe it it's not that serious, right? And it's not that big a deal. And so, and that's important to maintain because we don't, and I don't mean to say it's not just missing people. And I haven't responded to your emails. <laughs> <laughs> it's because it, it, it's, it's, it's lighthearted and we can, you know, our lives are more important. right? You know I'm, I'm going back to Calgary tonight because I have a dear, you know, my parents is passing, right? And I have to be there for them, Right. But I can do that in, in a way that I find very strong because I have people around me that are strong. Right. And, um, I don't look at it as, oh, this is is going to be one of those hard things in life, uh, any more so than so many other things are, right? And it's quite beautiful, right? And that's what gives me strength, too, is that sense of community, uh, which involves um, love and loss and all those things. What was the second part of the question? Since since
0: you've forgotten the second part of the question, I reserve reserve the right to ask a new one. (laughs) Yeah. but you know, there's something about these formats too, right? And so I'm asking you these questions, mm-hmm. and it's trying to open up a kind of space for, for, I mean, the breadth and scope of your thinking and being and caring and uh, creative force, right? But I wonder, like, what if, like, is there something, is there something, that you, is there something else, like without a question? Is there something you just want to offer or am I missing something? Or, you know, like, is there something that's bubbling up that wants to come out to this, to this space we're sharing? <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> What's bubbling up? Oh. <laughs> why is that the toughest question? <laughs>
1: oh, okay. How well, uh, you know. <laughs> I guess, I don't, know, I don't know where I'm going to go with this, but the idea that um, uh, um, creating spaces of the heart, spaces of mutual um, uh, connectivity, right, are, are tantamount to what we're doing, right? So all the, uh, I'll I come back to the institution, all the administrative stuff we're doing has to really have its foundation in that rather than the other way around. The institution's not the foundation, it's, it's the, those other elements, right? Um, but I also think, And this is where hope comes in, uh, although uh, attached to this notion of activism, is we can make these better spaces, right? And um, much better spaces, and there's a lot of damage out there, and people will be damaged, uh, and it's our job to um, create, that's the matrix I talked about before, that's protective, right? Mm -hmm. It's cocoon-like, but it's also um, um, a trampoline, so I can only bounce people up into where they need to be, right? And if we're doing that mindfully and, and collectively, um, there is no loss in that, right? And that's what I think people often uh, default to saying, well, if that person's there, then I, I can't be there, right? And it's, it's no, we can we can lift ourselves up collectively, right? Yeah. And uh, be better and do better, right? And we see all around this, all sorts of examples of this not happening, right? Often as representation of the institution and nation state and all that, right? Yeah. And so uh, I think we have to look outside of those models to uh, to to, care for ourselves and our communities and our loved ones in ways that are uh, uh, absolutely beautiful in terms of production too, right? Because it means
0: something comes out of it. That's it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) It just just ends there. (laughs) I want to uh, also offer a space for folks here with us. Like, is there, I mean, we have kind of a very important moment here Somebody who is usually moving around a lot, you know. <laughs> um, are there questions from folks in the circle for Ashok uh, about Ashok's practice?
2: Thank you very much, both of you, for facilitating this conversation. And it's been really great to listen to you, Ashok, and to get to know you and your work a little bit better. We work together and we do lots of work together, mm-hmm. but we don't get to this kind of time to. To know each other so I really appreciate this opportunity. We recently had a lovely show in the uh, an exhibition in the Graduate Gallery of the work of the students who were in the decolonizing book um, course that you led and I, apart from the fact that the work was remarkable and the space, the space that was created by the within the gallery was very unusual. It's, it felt less of a kind of show of individuals' work than a sort of welcoming space that was created together uh, mutually by the students and through their collaboration. But as I went around the room and spoke to the students who were in the course, and they were all across lots of different areas of graduate studies and programs, what they said to me. Individually and collectively, and it just kept coming up. Was they said to me, like, this course was so great, not just because of what we learned in the course, but because of how we felt in the course. And it felt, and then they described it as embracing and open and, um, place where ideas could be sort of trialed and there was no way of doing things wrong and you know there's also no right way to do things it was the way that they were approaching this subject matter area and you can see by the different sorts of work that that was very diverse so i'm wondering if there's anything that you might be able to pass on to us that could help us a pedagogical point of view in creating these sorts of very open spaces within horse-based work where people can express themselves and feel embraced and confident enough and secure enough to be able to do such marvellous, diverse work. Um, yeah, well, the question
1: of what we do when we're creating what I call learning environments, right? So not teaching spaces, but learning environments. How do you do this? I, I think of it as, as let me make up a word there, discursivity, right? So how do you create an environment of discursivity where, where um, people can contribute uh, in a non-linear fashion, right? So that they're able to um, uh, articulate themselves and put themselves into the, into the circle, right? Um, Without being compelled to do so, but without um, uh, being inhibited from from that. Right? So, um, I, I mean, as often happens, there's is a, a wonderful group of students, cross-disciplinary from various different places. Um, in terms of uh, um, racialization, in terms of gender fluidity, in terms of age, there's a lot of. So it's a, a nice work. But what I really, what was happening there, is that people are very different from one another, we're talking to each other very deeply, right? And uh, that created that in, that warmth of that space, right? Um, so, you know, even at the opening, I was talking to one of the students and was saying that they had to uh, work with every one of the other students because their work was going to reflect on theirs and they wanted to make sure that that was okay it that was the So these sort of things. Right? Um, but one, I suppose, strategy is in, in this discursivity is uh, the employment of things like the talking circle, which we use a lot, right, which, uh, and this is, you know, how we learn from different cultural contexts, how we learn from indigenous spaces, right, which is where I first came to, say, the talking circle, uh, and both in traditional form, as in, uh, we're going to go around the circle, right, and speak to whatever you need to speak to,
0: and, you know,
1: no one speaks over you, and so nice. and, and then other forms of circles where you, you're in a circle, you're talking, you're exchanging, right. Uh, and I think it felt there was a great an openness that uh, the students, and, and I do want to emphasize that they created themselves, right? There was a particular moment in the class, I remember when two of the students uh, challenged the concepts that were happening because there was still a deference to the authority of the classroom me, right? And then, as soon as they hit that, the others started to get why they didn't need to be raising their head, you know, this sort of thing, right? So. Um, and, you know, I, know I could talk theoretically using, like, Freerian models of, uh, you know, student-based pedagogy and all that, but really it's about that listening element that we were talking about earlier, right? How do we listen to each other carefully? And one of the, uh, the more mature artists in the room said that, you know, she's done a lot of work on art therapy and all. She said this: that moment of listening, being compelled to listen, I won't say forced to listen, compelled to listen to others, was for her an opening up. And, and so that's what was interesting is that they're listening to each other in, in a way. And uh, you know, if I walked out, uh, there's one week I was uh, out of town, and uh, uh, when they were planning the show, right? And uh, I was, you know, I came back, everything was done. Like they, they met, they talked about the work, and I, I really had caught myself out of a job there, right? Which is that, thats what we need to do: is create those spaces, right, to open things up, uh, particularly when you know, in, in their current administrative place where we're at, trying in a challenging space, right? I think we look at ways that uh, are are better pedagogically, uh, not what we're used to doing, but they can be stronger and that's the light, right? You can do that.
0: Questions are hard, <laughs> but sometimes they bring out such beautiful answers. Uh, is there other thoughts from, or other questions from folks in the room? Because I have many more questions. <laughs>
2: Comment in the story. because yeah. it's relevant yep. to what you were speaking about. Um, I don't take Uber, but my children do. And so if I visit them, then they send me off with Uber. <laughs> so obviously, I left the junction to come back downtown. And um, the driver, his name is Apple, um, was an engineer um, and uh, is now here driving Uber. And uh, we were talking about my family, and I said, my youngest daughter's name was Nora. And he said, oh, Nora's a wonderful name, because it means light. And he said, and there's light. And he said, but what it also means is that with light, you can see the obstacles. You can't see the obstacles without light. So when you were talking about light in relation to your work and what you're trying to bring to things, I thought it was like, such an interesting idea that... We don't think about life that way, but of course that's what it provides as well.
1: mm. So no, I just thought I would tell that
0: story. My girl said, "I'm so glad you had a
2: positive Uber experience." <laughs> 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 hey,
0: I was girl, very the
1: like... in story. <laughs> okay. Using that term, also, in the novel I was talking about, when, "Once Upon an Elephant," I was uh, I was thinking of the of the, the the deity of Ganesh, and one of his his um, his elements is to be the god of obstacles, right? Um, and, and or sorry, the god of remover of obstacles is so someone you pray to to you know, having this problem with your life. And get over. But I, I've reinterpreted that, rethink that. And that's a very important deity, in my my uh, very personal cosmology. Uh, as someone who who also is there to place obstacles in the way when they're needed to be in the way, right? So, like a steeple, you gotta have something there to get over, right? Um, so if life is too easy, or a certain path is too easy, to find something to challenge ourselves, which is what we do, you know, if you're making a piece of art, it's like, oh, I, can, I know exactly what I'm doing. You want to make some sort of challenge to change that around. But I love that idea of the obstacle, not as, uh, this language is funny, Not an obstacle, not as obstacle, but as opportunity, right, to do be that. And sometimes we need those, right? We need to, it's like taking on new challenges, right? To say, I'm going to do this in a different way. So I love that, uh, I love that idea. Thanks. She does that
0: for us. Well, I, uh, I love watching you collaborate with people. Yeah. And I, I think it's like, as somebody who has tried to prioritize collaboration, it, 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 it's nice to witness other strategies uh, and other ways of being in collaboration. And uh, I think it's pretty... Uh, I think it's the beginning of, a con- it's the beginning of a articulating the, uh, what collaboration is because you, when you use the words like you are aligned in shared purpose for a period of time towards a shared goal, right? Uh, and the accomplishment of that goal is evidence of that collaboration being good or bad. But I think that's a very simplistic way to talk about and understand collaboration. I also think that you do something different. Because, um, and I want to, I would love for you to share a little bit more of your thoughts around what collaboration is for you and your practice. Because um, it's, I mean, we've known each other for 20 years. Like, that's 20 years of, well, nine years of collaboration.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's a very difficult concept, right? Because we, you know, in a, in a contemporary world, people are saying, oh, yeah, this is what I do, right? And... Uh, I remember uh, when, I was, uh, <laughs> when I was hired here, actually, one of the, the things that I had said to uh, the, the person on the, the hiring firm is that it's, I hate that notion of, uh, especially when an administrator, where, where people say, people say, how do, you, how do you lead? And of course, everyone has the same answer. Oh, you know, I'm so highly consultative. Well, I consult <laughs> And you think, well, if you're, it's like one of those, those questions that you get where you have one answer, but all these different questions. Think, well, if you're so consultative, then how come the world isn't working in a marvelous way, right? What's going on? What does it mean to consult? So I um, and so I don't like to use that as an answer because it's just it's, it's plastic, it doesn't mean anything, right? Um, the, the same with collaboration, right? You can just say, well, this is my collaborator, and you often see this like an academic circuit stream collaborator on the paper, meaning that I've written the first part, you've written the second part, you know, you've got it presented, right? So what does it mean to deeply invest in that? Um, it, it comes back to the listening, I think, right? How uh, you're listening to people, not just well, what they're saying, but what they're wanting to say, right? And that's that's a hard thing to tease out, right? Particularly, uh, you have know, different experiences, someone has different uh, language uses, and they're saying, well, what's it they're wanting to say? You have to listen to what they're feeling, right? Intuit it then. Um, and um, deference, I suppose, like how to, how to defer to... Where someone's moving, it's like one of those theater exercises when you're mirroring somebody. And you have to follow them, and it changes to see when you're following them and you're following you. That type of thing, right? Um, but done in a in a uh, in a different way. So you're not physically doing that; you're, you're feeling that. way. Right? But, but those are those are hard hard questions. And also just the idea of bringing more people in,
0: right? If, uh, and people you don't expect to work with. And that's uh, that's another thing. Too.
1: Um, But I'm I'm answering that badly because I don't really know. It's just a a feeling around it, so how to to listen carefully, how to um, listen, um, you know, this is a notion of active listening, where you listen to somebody and you disagree with what they're saying. So you have that internal voice saying, I'm going to, as soon as they stop talking, I'm going to tell them why they're wrong, right? But if I stop resisting what they're saying, how do I take it? in? That can be very difficult when you're talking across political spectrum, talking about people whose ideas you know you're never going to abide by, but you want to know how they come to abide by them, right? Uh, but the same thing goes for creative practice. Like, I don't know how someone comes to that practice, but um, but if I if I listen attentively enough, maybe I'll, I'll uh, either find a way into their life or they'll find a way of taking their life towards me uh, so we can work on this, this together and feel, feel stronger and if people can feel not just listen, but feel that they uh, have something to contribute to the space. Um, if there's silence in the room that they're allowed to fill, right, that's uh, that's a beautiful thing, right? Um, and the only way for that to be there is to not fill up this annoying voice, you know, those sort of things. But this is a complicated thing, so I'm not really sure if I'm getting to it, but I, I think that's uh, that means a takeaway is to have a listen and have a, have a engage on those those topics.
0: Yeah. It's really important. It's really important. And I, how to listen, you know, and so you, it's, a, it's such an under, de, at times such an underdeveloped skill for many, many people. Um, and like you're saying, you're, you're not listening, you're thinking about your response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very important, uh, distinction, you know, and I think, um, uh, I think Right. One more question. What? Yes? Yeah. Oh, so yeah? I've done a couple of events that you've been part of. So I've read your bio a few times. Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Go back to the, the OCAD. <laughs> and then, so I haven't read any of your novels, so Christmas is going to So one thing I, I gleaned from that when I when I kind of go back to some of your biases is when you came to OCAD, it wasn't like Didn't need it, right? You were you were coming because they'd seen things and heard things, and there was things that were happening here that you wanted to be part of or collaborate with. I think that's what I'm asking. Is it seems like there was a, a a sense that there was some way to collaborate with what OCAD was doing. So just in in terms of collaboration, have you found that you know, what's it like to collaborate with an institution? You know, some institutions are friends, but you know, and you've talked a lot about how to how work with individuals and students and mm-hmm. stuff. But have you found it possible to collaborate with a university? Is that, is that something that's um, is it possible?
1: It it's it's strange, and it's it's about power power dynamics too, right? And so I remember when I started at UBC, and we were as the head of the department there, which included visual arts, right, and there was an issue around the studios, and, and, and I'm just so used to saying, well, let's make this happen. So I said to somebody, one of the technicians, said, well, who do I talk to to make this happen? Like, how, do we, how do we do this? Right. And they said, well, you, you're the one who makes it happen? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah so we can't forget that, too, that
0: we have that. So in coming here, the, the notion
1: of being able to make uh, change, right, and not be timid about it. And I don't mean, like... Well, this is my vision, I'm going to impose it on people, but how do we make things that are actually workable for all of us, right? But knowing that we have power for One of our largest enemies in institutions, I think, is status quo, is think, well, in that answer, which is, well, why do we do it this way? Well, it's because we've always done it this way. Uh, and that's not a good enough answer, right? So it, it, how do we then, to, to your point of collaborating within the institution, how do we see what's it's a collective good, right? How do we actually determine what, what can be, rather than looking at what 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 is there, right? When we look at just what is there. We're going to say it's you know I keep going back to Shakespeare and you know, Hamlet, right? Like, you know, you, you, you stay with these uh, the the evils that you know because you don't want to fly off to these others, right? That's that's the thing. because You don't know what's on the other side. I think something we have take that so it's risk taking too, right? Take risk to try something different, not um not like some sort of entrepreneurial. Oh, we're going to try this because maybe it will work, right? But try to ensure you're thinking about something and, and if you work together and people are willing to, to jump off a cliff together rather than saying you go first, right, uh, it's, it's great because then, you, then you, you, okay, maybe you all die together, but what you do is you, you, you <laughs> open up opportunities right? Uh, around that to, to think through what we can do, right? So, not being, so it's, it's easy to be fearless when you're in a community of people who can be fearless together, right? It's really tough to be that. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this on my own, right? Anything that's done, anything. the time I hear that, I feel it's a fundamental failure. It's not about that. So, in this case, the notion of leadership is is collaborative. How do we, how do we see things together? and How do we develop something on that line? Right? So that is really what that consultation that I'm talking about. But it's mm. it's uh, you can't just say it is, right? You have to do it.
0: That leads me to more questions, but I feel like we are running close to our, close to time. time. Um, Like a a new question because of that question makes me think, is it hard to be a dreamer? Like, do you find it hard to be a dreamer? You know, Uh, and dreamer, not in terms of like romantic, whatever, like, oh, da, 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 but I mean, actually the, the dreams that you're having and bringing to this environment are doing this other thing, right? You know, one of the
1: the, the Zapatista movement, there is this uh, this notion of um, of demanding the impossible, right? Mm. And I think that's a, a key frame. So you, you envision what your world is like, and you see what and what people tell you, and what you know is possible. You know, we we've got a frame of goodness, right? But what do you really want to go to? What is seems to be impossible, right? Mm. And when you find that moment, and then not to say. Can we attain it, but you demand it, right? That can be a beautiful thing, right? Um, it's not always going to work, but it's going to be uh, an aspiration towards something. And if you can demand the impossible, uh, it means you're at least anticipating, you can envision being there, right? Yeah. Whereas, in, uh, often cases, again, in institutional spaces, you're saying, well, that outside, that, that can't work, right? Because it's never working, why, why would we oh. even think about it, right? But maybe that's that's a possibility. So, right now, I'm working with a couple of colleagues and just sitting down having these long conversations about things that are, um, I, I joke about these lead balloons, if you represent them, in a set of, it's not, not going to work, right? If we start to talk and think through it, maybe there's a way that it, it doesn't have to be coming up as a one-off. Thing. We can actually change, change the world we live in. So that's what I would say is demand the impossible.
0: There you go. Demand the impossible. Wow. I think mean, it's a beautiful place, placeholder. Yeah. And. Uh, I just want to take a moment to thank you again thank you peter this is
1: wonderful <laughs> thank you everyone here it's exciting to be able to, to think through some ideas like this and i like the fact that you didn't we well, didn't prepare when you didn't say let's talk about this in a certain way so that that to me was really wonderful so thank you for that
0: well it's wonderful to know somebody for this long yeah. and so you don't have to prepare and then you can <laughs> imagine new new possibilities right yeah. like new questions which are hard or harder yeah. to get out of your mouth mm-hmm. But um, thank you, and thanks to everyone in the room with us, in the circle. I uh, really appreciate your time and your presence here. And I want to also acknowledge all of the folks who are not in the room with us uh, and uh, all of those, how all of those folks contribute to us being in the room right now, right? Um, and I want to also take a moment to, you know, because I'm a little bit, a lot backwards, that this is the moment for offering the territorial acknowledgement, that actions are, are a way of being present to territory and being present to all of the ancestors of, of the territories that we are, have the privilege of walking on. The Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabe, the Huron-Wendat, the Mississaugas of the Credit. Um, those are people who have been here, we recognize them, Right? But we also bring our ancestors here with us. That is part of coming to territory. The actions of being present with each other is is an offering of respect and kindness to, to this place and to the original peoples of these places. I'm also very, like, a big fan of honoring that we are travelers. We travel on territories. Artists are doing this thing a lot. We meet each other. We meet each other at times like this. Uh, And then we leave from these places with words like, it's okay to demand the impossible. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for that. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Why am I always forgetting things? What do you forget that? We're going to do this again. Yeah. Uh, In the new year. Yeah. Um, monthly, monthly, for as long as we can um, it, I and we're going to transform this as we go, like you know, um, but in January Andrea Fatona is going to have a conversation with uh, me uh, and maybe someone else, I don't know. Um, part of this work was that the cluster hire offered uh, a name Of someone in the community. So Suzanne uh, Morissette offered the name Andrea Fatona. Of course, Suzanne is on maternity leave. So I'm going to try and. uh, Well, there's no way I can be (laughs) Anne. There's no way. I mean, Suzanne is so incredible. It's like, okay, I'm a pale in comparison, but I'll do my best. Okay. Uh, Am I forgetting anything, Travis? No. Keep going. (laughs) Keep moving and we'll I be doing you something record some room tone what's that you should record some room tones so can pull it out of that recording because of the because of the I image know. back right yeah so if you just if you just
1: record it without us here right adam i don't know about this no <laughs> record it so can, and then you can pull that that part of the the, the track out of the uh okay. recording in, and it won't it won't be there I will find sort someone of, to like collaborate with me to do
0: this. Down yeah, down. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. That's so just great. A... <laughs> That's yeah. good. Yeah, I could. Think... It's like something that was driving me crazy through the whole thing. <laughs> 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 if I, if I, if I've never made film it'd be one thing, but
2: I've did lots of that. It was a game, there It's
1: loud. It's being loud on
0: there. Yeah, it will be. Yeah. Anyway, just a... Thank you for that. Thank you. Uh, Okay, thank you.